the Making Sense of Life podcast number 64. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sonora Heja. As we explore what it means to make sense of life in a world that is becoming more and more challenging and more and more complex. From podcast to podcast, we, we look at uh, different topics and we interview interesting people. Well, today our special guest is Peter Kerridge. Peter, it's great to have you here with us. Thank you. This podcast actually is coming from the um, offices of Premier Christian Radio or Premier uh, Christian Communications, as, as it's called, which is the largest Christian radio station in the world and which which Peter has been involved with uh, initially helping to set up and being with for the last 24 years, which is quite a remarkable achievement. Just in terms of background, Peter's married to Karen uh, since 1988. He's got two grown-up sons and he says his hobbies include reading, following Newcastle United Football Club and sleeping as well. Mainly sleeping. <laughs> Mainly sleeping. Well, when he's not sleeping, it is quite remarkable what um, what Premier has been able to achieve in the last 25 years. 2020 will be the 25th anniversary. Uh, it's Europe's, as I said, Europe's leading Christian multimedia group that includes radio, magazines and interactive websites with on-demand video and audio. And the most famous part is Premier Christian Radio. Just if, if you don't know about it, it's available on DAB Digital Radio, Freeview 725. If you're in the London area, it's on 1305, 1332, 1413 and 1566 medium, medium wave. The website is premierchristianradio.com. Uh, and also, but not, it's not just the radio station, we've also got um, all the media outlets. So, And the impact is, is truly remarkable. More than 8 million website visits each year. Six, over 6 million YouTube video views in 2018 1.2 million people tune into Premier Christian Radio you, and you run 24-7 I assume like they do yeah so 1.2 million people tune in every week and on top of that you have what's called Premier Lifeline the, the National Christian Helpline that has 1.2 million calls it, it has over its history I think this uh, next few months we're going to rise to 1.5 million Right, that helping people struggling with, with all sorts of with all worries sorts of problems, and fears yeah. and stress like that. And then on top of that, you've also got um, the Christianity magazine, Voice of Hope, and Premier Youth and Children's Work magazine. Five and, and Woman Alive, which is a new magazine we just launched this last as well. Yeah. So that's, that's that's a lot of different things you've been involved with. But Peter, I want to start off actually by getting to know you a little bit more about you. And your background, and we're going to divide this into into probably about three podcasts. That's the plan. But let's start talking about you, because in a sense, you and your story and how you came to get involved with 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 the launch of what was at that point Premier Christian Radio in a time when 
well there was not much there was not much available the internet was not as ubiquitous as it is now um and in a sense it well, there was there was actually a law that was only banning any christian broadcasting as well so but before we get to that let's just go to your background um you came to faith in christ as, as a young boy and so i came to faith when i was seven years old my um my mom and dad went to a, a local baptist church not very far from where i lived and, in, um, in newcastle in gateshead, in gateshead yeah, and uh, they're a road baptist and um and they used to have children's clubs and um and we had a man called Howard Donaldson who used to work for an organization called the Evangelization Society, TES. And um, he used to do children's clubs and he used to have a telescope and he used to bring it out and he'd say, he'd look through it and he'd pull it out a long way and he'd say, I'm looking at a very old story and it's from the Old Testament or if it was the one a little bit near, I would be from the New Testament. And I remember to this day his stories and um, he did missions all the time. He must have done just about every holiday he did a children's mission. And I remember one of them on a Tuesday night going to see him at the end of the meeting with two other boys, and I gave my heart to Okay, them. yeah. So yeah. And did you have any revelation about what God was you, you to do with the rest of your life, or that was that was what it was? I was seven years old. Seven I didn't know anything old. about anything. But no. what I, I can take you to the room now, I, I know exactly. Wow. It was a very vivid moment. So... Um, and then I just, just did a, I just grew up and, um, but I, I've always been supported by a Christian family. And when I was seventeen, I felt that I wanted to do something on radio. My, yes. uh, I'm a Newcastle United fan, as you said. And um, coming home from a match with my dad one day on the car radio, they had the football results. And then at the end, some guy came on and said that we're looking for reporters for the hospital radio station. So I went for a voice test. Yes. Um, and um, and they hired me, and I ended up doing football commentaries for Newcastle United. For that, oh. First of all, the hospital radio for about, I don't know, three or four months. Yes. And then there was a new commercial station opening up in Newcastle called Metro Radio. They were looking for people. And I ended up as a football reporter for them um, in their first season. So I used to do... Newcastle United one week and then Sunderland the next. Oh right! And uh, and I was what eighteen at the time. So you think this as a, as a hobby and as a sort of side job kind of thing? Yeah, I was working for an insurance company uh, during the week, um, but by the plan of God, I mean it has to be now. I ended up sitting next to a guy called Kenneth Wilsonholm. Kenneth Wilsonholm was the football commentator who. Is, is is immortal line is they think it's all over it is now it was the 1966 World Cup yes. and he was the commentator for it and his very last job before he retired was this football commentator for Tyne T's television right and so I was a young kid doing the football for the radio he was a seasoned reporter doing it for the television and he taught me how to be a football commentator okay. and I, I sat next to him for about three years every Saturday in various grounds and we became buddies and and I learned the difference between being a football commentator for television and then for radio. Yes. And then after that, I ended up. And obviously, for, for radio, you have to you have to keep on talking, talk because you can't. You've got no pictures, so you've got to keep on explaining what's happening. In, Correct. In minute detail. Correct. And keep the interest going. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and this was before you had pundits who used to chip in as well. You used to just do it with your one voice. But um, yeah, then I ended up. Uh, 
running a sports show on Metro, and then I started being a DJ, and I okay. and I did I did um, I did various radio shows, but I also became a nightclub DJ, and I was doing all that kind of stuff. And would the, and this was a sort of a, a side gig you were doing because cause oh, you, I was you, all you, on you, the side. It was you, all... had, you had this stable job as an insurance salesman, and you, yeah, we, yeah. you we were just talking earlier, on, but you you found that rather boring and dull. Uh, I mean, actually, no, I knew that if I did it for the rest of my life, it would be boring and dull. But as yeah. a young kid, I had a company car, I had an expense account. Ah. It was quite an easy job, and it gave me plenty of time to do this other stuff. Right. So actually, it was fantastic in many ways. But I just knew that if I if I stuck it for a long time, there was time, no future in it. Sense. Well, not in not in not if I wanted to be uh, doing anything meaningful. I thought so, but but I didn't know what else I should do, and then I felt. Um, I got the call. I got the yes. call to ministry. So, and you said what? You, this was to, to study theology. In... So, so what happened was my uh, wife Karen. She was um, a student at Lancaster University, and I worked for an insurance company called the Clerical Medical, who had their headquarters in Bristol. Right. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to drive um, when I had a course. I used to drive across to Lancaster. Karen had the car. Um, it was able to be driven by her so I would leave the car with her and go on my course and she loved it because it was a posh car um, I went and did my course but uh, so this was the theology at Oxford this is before Oxford uh, this, yeah. is, this is when I'm still working in insurance and yeah. um, and uh, I, I was telling her that I, for all of the benefits of this job I didn't think I could do it forever and, yes. I, and but I, what the, the last thing I wanted to do was to do anything in full-time Christian work. Right. I thought that was that was for losers. Right. It was um, not something that I wanted to do. Um, and I gave her about four or five reasons why I should not be. I wouldn't have the temperament for it. Um, uh, I wouldn't like the poverty. Um, there was all sorts of reasons. And um, anyway, we went to church. On I mean, she reminds you, God's probably got a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. yeah. We went to church on the Sunday morning. Yeah. And then I went down to my course and then she came on the phone on Sunday night and said I've been to church again and Pastor Green he preached a sermon and he said if you're feeling these things and she listed all the stuff I'd said she, he said that you're feeling the call of God <laughs> well I was not very happy about that um, and so I said to her hey look I'll tell you what um, let's not do anything um, too rash um, I'll come to church with you next Sunday and we went again on the Sunday night, and she hadn't spoken to him at all. And um, he stood up on the Sunday night, and he said, um, I've never done this before, but I want to repeat the sermon I preached last wow. night. Wow. So he got me twice there. Wow. And um, and that was it. That was the start of it. I kind of um, I, I had this call, and then I had to go and find out what that meant. So I went to see an old minister friend. So you say, so basically so you, you sacrificed the job that you, with the insurance job, basically, from there. Yeah. You felt God well, calling you once, after that. Once, once I knew... Th- Basically, what happened was then this guy said, you, you need to go to Oxford and do theology. And I said, well, um, I'm not so sure about that. He said, well, why don't we just test it? Send off the forms. Yeah. And um, This is the Oxford University, so it's uh, not a... It's, so it's, then they accepted me. So I, I guess yeah. in the college, um, and then I jacked my jobs in, and, um, and then, you know... What, a, what, maybe six months after this whole thing kicked off, I'm suddenly a student. And um, no longer a nightclub DJ, no longer doing any football, no longer doing any sport. I was a fish out of water. That was a really in, in, a, in a, what, a very intense academic background. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had to learn Greek in two terms, and I was never very good at languages. And it was all, it was a hothouse. It yeah. was a hothouse. And, um, and my only outlet, this is funny, really, cause, uh, because I was doing a lot of media before college, I went to BBC Oxford and said, hey, have you got anything for me to do at the weekends? And they yeah. they put me on the radio there. And then because I was doing that, I taught public speaking to earn a few bob um, at the local uh, Anglican college. Wow. I was trying to teach high Anglicans to preach. Um, and when you've got an accent like me, that does yeah. sound quite strange. But that's what happened. And um, I did that. And, and I somehow got my way through college and and kept my radio going at the same time. Wow. So we can see, in a sense, so those three years in Oxford, in a sense, well, how do you look back on them now? Like that? Uh, incredibly formative. I think it gave me an appreciation of the different strands of church, which I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. um, a real understanding that there were lots of different ways of approaching um, Christian life and ministry. Yes. And that it was a rich and deep tradition. Um, so, yeah, I got all of that. Um, I can't say I thoroughly enjoyed it because it was just too hard work. But, um, you know, a lot of that stuff still hangs with you. you, you yes. It get, becomes part of who you are. Yeah. And so you left Oxford, then you, you became a Baptist. You, you mentioned you became a Baptist minister then at a church in Southend. So I, I, um, I, I, I always felt that I should do mission and evangelism. But as Baptists, we only ever hire pastor teachers. So I was a bit struggling mm. as to what I was going to do next. And, and I worried. I worried from the moment I entered college in 1983 to way beyond my first placement. So I And what did you I, worry about? I worried about whether I was doing the right thing and whether this was what I was supposed to do. And I had all these people telling me it was what I was supposed to do, but I didn't feel it for myself. So... Um, um, I would. I wondered whether any church would hire me. Would I get a job? What was I supposed to do? And and blow me down. I was the first guy placed. Right. So of my year group, uh, I was placed in the October of the year of my final year, whereas most of them were still getting fixed up in the second and third terms. Mm. And when I when I went uh, down to South End, which is where my church uh, was. Um, uh, the, the big adventure really began because actually, actually this church released me to do work in the community. Yeah. And um, and I said, hey, well, does um, working on the radio count as working in the community? And uh, they said, well, yeah, but there's not many people get on the radio. I said, well, if, if I can get on the radio, would that count? Yes. And uh, one guy said, oh, well, there's a local radio station in town and in those days, there wasn't many local radio stations. Yes. Um, you had county-wide radio stations based in one one locale. So Essex Radio was based in South End, which just happened to be, I don't know, a mile and a half from where my church was. Yes. So, so, so I, I, I rang him yeah. up. I rang him up and uh, gets through to this guy who was the general manager who happened to be a Baptist. Okay, so immediate he, identification with you, yes. And I was on I was on the radio the following Sunday. Wonderful. And that's how that whole journey started. So I basically ends up in South End, ends up real quick on the radio, and eventually became their religious producer and just kept on going. Yeah. So so there's this passion about being on the radio and passion about as it were, sharing your faith via radio and using that technology. 
but also a passion to see it spread more and more. And let, let's move on to, into the terms of the, st- the story behind Premier Christian Radio. How, because if we go back, because we're talking about the, the 1980s, and we're talking about a time when there, you know, to start a radio station requires a phenomenal amount of money. You've got to deal with you've got you've got a backdrop in which Christian radio is not allowed. There's there's an act of parliament that says you can't have religious broadcasting. How did, in a sense, what was the story between thinking so, so ca- catching you, a vision you, for this? Well, if you start in 1986, which is when I went down to South End, I ended up in the first two years. Um, I was the I was their drive time presenter for a while. I was their breakfast presenter for a bit. I did Sunday breakfast for. Mm. 15 years or so I did uh, the Lifeline program because <laughs> we used to have, ironically we used to have a radio show which did telephone problems called Lifeline right and um, and um, and I was on the air a lot and we used to syndicate I used to write these little thoughts for the days and we syndicated them around all these different radio stations so you had a lot of very sort of underground experience oh, oh yeah yeah so while while while, he, while Christian groups could not own broadcast licenses there was a lot of religious broadcasting in the 1980s. Mm. So there was always a thought for the day. There was epilogues on the television. Mm. Sunday morning, you tend to have a religious show. And there was a problem show on most channels at night, yes. on a Sunday night. And so the, so there were, there the, were ways in. There was ways in. But, but what happened in the 80s, as, as radio stations became more complex and computers came into the game, they started realizing that you could have... Um, a radio station that just played top 40 songs yeah. and that would become more popular than a station that was doing religion country and western art shows yeah. uh, you know yes. book programs so it's more so, about so what, what, when, what when, they were providing yeah, in a when, sense. when the radio stations began to specialise yes. it became apparent that if Christian if Christianity was blocked on the airwaves if Christians could not own re- radio stations and TV companies then we were going to get squeezed out yes and so in the late 80s in 88 89 I and along with a few others started to campaign that Christian radio should be allowed in fact Christian television should be allowed as well yeah and and that culminated after a lot of lobbying in something called the 1990 Broadcasting Act and the 1990 Broadcasting Act allowed um, specialization of, of radio and TV licenses and that meant Classic FM was born Talk Radio was born and all these satellite and digital channels on the television came yes. about and Mrs Thatcher uh, allowed yeah. Christian Radio to go through on the nod on, on that bill Fascinating like that So just to recap then so you've got an environment where radio stations are becoming very specialised on on a particular niche market, so there's less opportunity to share to, to share faith and Christian views on the radio. Yeah. And on the TV, I think we talked. You know, you said there, there were just was it um, BBC had songs of praise and ITV had uh, highway. Highway. Yeah. The, the, in, in the mid '80s, um, at 7:30 p.m. on a Sunday, ITV had Highway with Harry Seacombe and BBC had Songs of Praise, and they were both overtly Christian. Uh, uh, programs and 16 million people every week watch those two programs then Harry got cancer and died the, the uh, ITV managers uh, cancelled the show stuck a bunch of James Bond movies on for a, a to season to get more more viewers get yeah. more viewers then the BBC reacted by 
moving songs of praise earlier in the schedule and that was the start of tv really really sidelining uh religion and christianity in particular okay so you've created an environment now where you're allowed to have uh, a christian radio um, station that's great you've done that but then you need to get the venture capital you need to it, it, this all costs a lot of money it's not like today you know where anybody can like can set a podcast at a, at a relatively low cost you're talking about several hundred thousand if not a few million to, to do so, that so, so in those early days that there was a few problems one one the church didn't want it i mean if you look back so the church did not have a vision for, for christian radio uh, worse than that they just didn't want it not not they didn't have a vision they just didn't they didn't want to have it at all every bishop in the house of lords voted against it wow so you can imagine how and, and, and to put it in context because i mean obviously people might go to church for a couple of hours in a week and w- yeah well i mean you know 24 yeah. 7 broadcasts mean you get to a lot of people yeah and um there's far more people listen to christian radio in the uk than are attending church yes but in the in the old days right at the very start we had no idea about that but what we could say is the challenges facing us in 1990 were um a no money b no church leadership support mm. c was there going to be an audience for it? Yeah. Also, who was going to manage this? Because there wasn't that many managers, and who's going to be who's going to be on the radio? Where the, where the presenters going to come from? So it sounds pretty it, impossible. It, well, there there was a bunch of religious uh, presenters and producers because they were on the other channels uh-huh. doing those thought for the days and the Sunday morning shows. So there was a bunch of people who could do. The broadcast, but they need to be brought together. But they need to be brought together. But the the key the key problem was that um, there wasn't a depth of field on the management side. No one had ever done it before, and so how how you would get somebody who knew about radio or broadcasting in the in the in the management sense was hard. And the story, my story, was having uh, gone through the nineteen ninety broadcast act, I was. At that point, uh, working full time in secular radio. Right. So I'd, I'd worked on the Billy Graham Crusade in 1988, putting live links into cinemas across the East Coast. And off the back of that, uh, my old ethics tutor from university uh, rang me up and said um, that BBC Wales were looking for a religious producer for what is their flagship program called All Things Considered. It's been running forever. And um, the key thing on that is you have to learn Welsh. <laughs> so we, that was another hurdle for you. Well, yeah, we just well, I just got married, and I didn't. I went to Cardiff for the interview, got the job, but I didn't want to do it. I, I, I we literally just got married, and I went back to my uh, guy at, at Essex Radio where I was doing the Sunday show, and I said, "Hey, look, I've just crossed a Rubicon here. I think I'm leaving the church. I've just been in Wales for a radio job, which I never thought I'd ever do." Um, chances are I'm going to go to another church, but you need to know I'll probably not be here in a few months. And he said, oh, look, he said, how about we create a role for you here? You can be on the radio, you can do the religious stuff, community affairs, all that kind of thing. Mm. And so they created a job, and um, and for three years I did that job. But what was really interesting was that out of the 1990 Broadcast Act, there was a clause in the Act which said that community radio was going to be allowed up and down the country, which was small-scale licenses for populations of um, uh, 100,000 people up to 400,000 people. Uh, 
normally a countywide radio station would have a population of about a couple of million. Mm-hmm. So it was like, a, 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 it was manna from heaven for me because it meant I could launch radio stations. And I launched a bunch of smaller radio stations, stations with five or six people. Tops was about seven people, I think. And and they did everything. They did yeah. all of the re- they did all of the presenting, they did the news, they did the selling, oh, um, wow. and so it's like a small business basically in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, and when you've when you've launched them, and you've seen them work, and they've earned a profit, then well, suddenly I knew how to run a radio station because okay. I'd been I'd launched all these things over things. a period of four or five years. Wow. And, and that's when I came to to come to Premier. Because uh, you initially thought about doing something in the northeast. Yeah, I was trying to get a Christian station with um, with um, uh, a, a really good Christian called Peter Vardy. We were trying to get Christian radio in the north of yeah, England. Yeah, a business and also entrepreneur there. Yeah. 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 Uh, but everything we ever went for, we failed at. Yeah. We couldn't get one license. So what was a northeast loss became London's gain in a sense. Well, whatever happened. But the, the, the reality was um, uh, they rang me up and I came and... I've been there ever since. Wow, that's and so, and so, so you launched in in London. When when was that exactly? So probably I launched in June the, on June the tenth, nineteen ninety five. Okay, and I joined in nineteen ninety six. So you could only listen in, within the London area. In, in the old days, you could only listen on medium wave, pretty much uh, around the M twenty five, and um, and and the regulator gave the worst frequencies and the lowest power. That they've wow. ever given to a, uh, a radio station, so they, they you had to listen to three different frequencies as you drove around the M25. Oh, oh and it the changed. Power level, oh, you changed. You had to keep retuning your dial, yes. and then the power level was so low that it was very scratchy signal, which still is across across medium wave around London. That's, yeah, no, I remember because I, I I we used to live in Southampton, and so I, I was always fascinated when coming to London. I could listen to Christian radio. It was it was uh-huh. quite a novelty, and quite well, but in a good in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. Because again, remember, this is in a time when we don't have the plethora and the huge amount of media resources that we have now. Either you put a cassette tape in and you listen to something, you, it just was not available on demand. And so it was a quite a different world. So it was quite a revolution to be able to listen to, to Christian music on the radio. It really was. And um, we saw a huge surge. As soon as, soon as uh, we became overtly Christian, the very... Pr- problem that Premier had right at the very start was it wasn't Christian enough. They used to play like Beatles tracks and Whitney Houston tracks and oh. put thought for the days in. And for um, for the non-Christian audience they thought the music's lovely but why do they keep talking about God all the time? And for uh, the Christian audience they thought well this is lovely Christian um, thought provoking stuff but what's Whitney Houston got to do with it so you say you were (laughs) fell between both stools but what we did in 1996 is we made it overtly Christian yeah everything everything had to be Christian and we put Christian in the title it used to be called Premier Radio it's called Premier Christian Radio now yeah it has been since 96 so that's very much about what you stand for in terms of the Christian gospel and the Christian message and but you know, running an, an an enterprise like this is no small thing. Your current budget, you tell me, is it's about ten million, ten million pounds. Yeah, when we began in '95, it was about a million, so it's increased tenfold over the time. And how did you raise that money? Three quarters of the money comes from donations, and about a quarter from. So commercial. at the beginning, you raised it from donations as well. Uh, yes, but not as much, by uh, of course, and we raised about a couple hundred grand from commercial sales right at the very start. Right. Okay. 
and keeping that going obviously in a sense because because it's one thing getting it off the ground and what's one thing getting the money then the thing is having sustainable business that that can yeah i mean the, 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 there's there's a huge number of different challenges that you face when you've got this kind of thing going and and one is growing in a sustainable manner yes um and and enabling the the revenues to come through to you know keep the transmitters going to keep the staff paid and yes um develop new things there's always i mean throughout the premier's history there's always been uh, more challenges in terms of where what we're going to do with the money than the money available you know? and uh, have you got some interesting stories about how god provided money in ways that you didn't think or in, in the last minute or that things like that um every year every year for the last 24 years there's always been challenges on revenue um I think it's a biblical principle, actually, that God gives you enough for the day, you know, the manner for the for the journey, but he um, he doesn't give you two bags extra. Yes, and um, and Unless that keeps there's a reason you, for it, yeah. and that keeps you close to him. I think that keeps you mm-hmm. um, uh, going back for more help, and and our audiences have grown, and their support has grown, and as we've carved out a niche in the Christian market. Uh, advertisers have found it helpful to use Premier to reach this new yes. crowd of people, um, and so you know whether it's a legacy that arrives literally um, to fill a, a gap of, of 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 money. Literally, in fact, I think um, very recently we uh, we needed a, a couple of hundred thousand pounds and blow me down. A legacy for two hundred thousand appears. Wow. Somebody did, did say to that, yes. Well, they died and left the legacy, yes. and and but it was at the timing was literally perfect. It was amazing, yeah. And that, that happens again and again and again. That's wonderful to hear, and that's that that is quite amazing. And in terms of again the vision for for Premier Christian Radio, in terms of helping Christians to grow in their faith and be exposed to good teaching and. Uh, opportunities to, to understand their faith in deeper ways we were talking earlier on before this podcast about the challenges churches have in terms of their congregation um, and you were saying to me that often people even though they profess faith in Christ don't go to church as, as, as much as they do and, I, and I, I think it's a western thing um, but I grew up in a my, my mom and dad helped build a church in in Gateshead and the Tyne Valley has two parts to it one is the um, built-up sub suburban part the other bit is the is the countryside when i learned to drive i drove over into the country and looked back to where my church was and um and i worked out that for every street light there was about four houses and if every house had four or five people in it that meant there was 16 to 20 people for every street light and there were thousands of street lights and this church had good news for every man but only 50 of them came yeah. And so my big thing was, well, if they won't come to the building, maybe we need to get the gospel out to, to them. them. Yeah. And that's where we began to start thinking about using broadcast to get people more engaged with the Christian life. And and that truism is even more so today, because I think actually, uh, looking back, the, the church is weaker now than it, than it was in the, in the 70s and 80s. Mm. And folk have far more calls on their time and their attention and their loyalty to a local congregation just doesn't seem to be as strong as it once yes. was which means that you have a, 
a church model that's really sick. I mean, I, I talk about it as a non-league football team. Um, and a non-league football team practice at the weekends, um, sometimes scratch around again, 11 players on the pitch, have got very little resource. Well, in the UK, average church going is once every three weeks, so it doesn't have enough players on the pitch. Mm. They don't train. Nine out of 10 people who go to church don't have a devotional life. And because they don't train, they're really weak. Mm. So they're very hesitant about sharing their faith because they don't know their faith. And where they live, where they work, where they worship, three distinct geographical areas. So how Christian are you if, if you only go to church once every three weeks? How Christian are you at home? Yes. How Christian are you in the workplace? And these are, this is a symptom of a church which is challenged, and yet we're called to be salt and light. And so yes. I think the role of something like Premier to be a strong Christian voice, feeding people's faith 24-7, encouraging them to get involved in a local church, encouraging them to be salt and light in their community is really important. Yes, and it's amazing. And, and, and you can see as well how radio or audio broadcast in a sense can cross all those different barriers so you can you can go to all those different contexts and the opportunity to to be challenged in your faith and to think more seriously in your faith when this yeah because there's so much other stuff that's out there that can distract us oh, away from absolutely and, and you know we, we we know from our own research that there are people who you know um who are really really you know, having their lives turned around by, by the Ministry of Premier. Here, here's this lady called Joanna. Listen to this. Hi, my name's Joanna, and I uh, live in Sussex in southeast of England. I've been looking after people for over 30 years in all manners of walks of life, usually at a point of immense vulnerability and pain. I work in mainly hospitals. I have a, a 45 minute journey into work and out of work and I'm dealing with a lot of palliative patients and a lot of families and the extremes of life but in that tapestry of, of life I see God in all of it and it's been a great privilege to serve people. I'm generally known um, when people ask me what I do is a uh, I'm a professional body washer. So I'm the lady that will make your cups of tea and make sure you're clean and, and cut your nails and brush your hair. Um, but also in that, I listen. And some days I can't listen anymore. And some days it's too much for me. But that 45 minutes driving into work, listening to Premier, and that 45 minutes coming home from work listening to Premier actually is priceless to me because I wouldn't be able to walk through the door and do my job without it. And that story's repeated thousands and thousands, thousands of times. times. Thousands. And that's an important, really important ministry that, that, that Premier Christian Radio has. And, and it's wonderful to see how starting off as that radio station 25 years ago, how that's, as it were, kept up with the changes in technology and and different resources that, that that you now have with YouTube videos, with other online platforms as well. It's, yeah, it's, and well, you just saw there. I just picked that phone up that I had there and played yeah. it off the phone. How you couldn't have done that ten years ago? No, it's impossible. Phones were made for making phone calls, not yes. for playing tapes. And so, and so, 
the message of Christ is is unchanged, but the means by which we, as it were, proclaim it, spread it around, the, uh, spread it to others, we we need to keep up with that. So thank you, Peter, for that. Um, we're going to carry on the podcast interview in in our next podcast and just learn a little bit more about you and and your vision and passion and what keeps you going and and how you sustain it. Thank you so much for, for your time, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.